It is with great honor and an incredible pleasure for me to announce that St. Louis will be the 28th team in Major League Soccer. Congratulations. A hugely consequential season for Major League Soccer is about to kick off. We'll have that, plus a fascinating look into how big-name athletes handle dicey personal situations. It's Friday, February 24th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Underway, CF Montreal in the dark uniforms and City in their sky blue. Major League Soccer begins its 2023 season tomorrow. And this isn't just a new season. In many ways, this is the start of a new era for the league. And that's for a few different reasons. For starters, we have a new team. St. Louis SC will play its first game on Saturday against Austin. And they will do so as the first MLS team with a female founding owner and president, Carolyn Kindle. She's also the president of the charitable arm of the car rental company, Enterprise, which was founded by her grandfather. And St. Louis, you can hold the door as you walk in because there will be at least one more team coming in. MLS Commissioner Don Garber said he hopes to add a team by the end of the year, with the best bets being San Diego and Las Vegas. Team valuations are skyrocketing for MLS. And while they're on the rise in every sport, with MLS it's a whole different animal. According to Forbes, who published their list of MLS team valuations earlier this month, we have our first billion-dollar MLS team. That's LAFC. The average MLS team is now $579 million, which is up 85% since 2019. Brands are now betting on the long-term success of the league. Audi extended its deal to have the league playoffs be called the Audi MLS Cup Playoffs, and Adidas renewed its deal to be the league supplier of apparel, footwear, and soccer balls. That deal runs through 2030 and is worth a reported $830 million, according to CNBC. But probably the most significant deal is the one that begins this season that gives Apple exclusive streaming rights to every MLS game, including the playoffs. Speaking of which, MLS adjusted its playoff format to include a total of 18 teams, which will give Apple at least 25 games to broadcast, whereas last year there were only 13. Up until now, if you were watching soccer on Apple TV, it was probably through their hit show, Ted Lasso. Football in the States is my specialty, but they have a different kind of football over here. Football is football no matter where you play it. You got grass, you got cleats, and you got helmets with masks on. This is MLS's big bet on a rising streaming platform and Apple's big bet on soccer in the United States. And it's a long-term commitment, $2.5 billion over 10 years. The U.S. soccer audience skews young. The streaming audience skews young. This could work out great for everyone as long as people in the U.S. actually watch soccer. And we are seeing growth. In the 2022 MLS regular season, ABC and ESPN averaged 343,000 viewers, which was up 16% from the previous year. But everyone here involved is banking on a major increase in a few years because the World Cup is coming to North America in 2026. Here is MLS Commissioner Don Garber on what that's going to mean for the league. Well, the World Cup will be here in 2026, Mexico, Canada, the United States. Our league is 29 teams. Our 29th starts this Just this weekend, St. Louis with a brand new stadium downtown, by the way, owned by the founders of Enterprise Rent-A-Car, rebuilding the entire city downtown. By 2026, we'll have 30 teams. So when you think about the rocket fuel of the World Cup, Andrew, it's an opportunity for us to take this sport and embed it throughout communities in our country and in Canada. It'll be in a total of 16 cities, 11 of them in the U.S., FIFA is expecting to make $11 billion over the next four years, most of that coming from the World Cup. That would be close to a 50% increase from the last four-year cycle, which earned them $7.6 billion. 
I spoke to Ted Siegel, who bought the Houston Dynamo and Dash in 2021 after he bought the teams for a reported $400 million, and he said the World Cup coming to the U.S. was very much a factor in determining the worth of the teams. They expect interest in soccer to grow steadily and then jump. The groundwork for that is being laid by MLS and Apple, starting tomorrow. Let's take a look at the rest of the sports world. The United Kingdom is introducing a regulator to oversee the Premier League and the other professional soccer leagues in the UK. We may do a deep dive on this at some point, but the big takeaways for now is that the regulator has the power to block teams from jumping to the Super League or any other breakaway leagues, and the regulator may be bad news for teams that have been creative with their accounting recently, which Manchester City, for one, is accused of. Live golf players will be able to play in all four major tournaments this season after the PGA of America issued its 2023 eligibility requirements Wednesday. That will include names like Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, and Martin Kamer, who won the PGA Championship before taking the money and running to live. And Dapper Labs, creator of NBA Top Shot, was denied in their attempt to dismiss a lawsuit which claims that NFTs are securities and therefore need to be registered and regulated essentially as if they were stocks. That trial still has to play out, but it could have wide-reaching implications for the future of NFTs. For our next segment, I spoke to Brett Ward, partner and co-chair of the Matrimonial and Family Law Practice at Blank Rome. Brett represents athletes and other high-net-worth individuals who are going through divorces, child custody battles, even domestic violence accusations. He can't say publicly who he has represented, but I saw a couple of names and I can promise you've heard of them. We'll have that conversation right after this. 2000, 2008, 2022. When it comes to the economy, those are some scary years. Dot-com crash, housing crash, and the roller coaster we're going through right now. One thing is certain, it's a dangerous time to not know your numbers. But over 31,000 businesses have the confidence and clarity they need because they rely on NetSuite by Oracle, the number one cloud financial system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, and budgeting, so you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need all in one place. So, how do you prepare for uncertain times? The answer, NetSuite. NetSuite helps you identify rising costs, automate your business processes, and easily see where to save money. That's why 93% of customers say they improve their visibility and control when they upgraded to NetSuite. What are you waiting for? Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash frontoffice right now. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. netsuite.com slash frontoffice. I am joined today by Brett Ward, the partner and co-chair of the matrimonial and family law practice at Blank Rome. Welcome, Brett. Thank you. So you work with a number of high net worth individuals, including athletes um, in your legal practice. Could you just start by giving us an overview of the, the sorts of situations and cases that you deal with? Well, we uh, deal with uh, really a broad spectrum of what we call family law issues. That includes paternity cases, custody cases, divorces, prenuptial and postnuptial agreements, um, we also delve into areas involving domestic violence and also uh, rarely, but uh, child protective services gets involved with families. How is your work with athletes unique because they are these these public figures that people are interested in? Well, th there are uh, many differences between an athlete and I would say entertainers in general uh, versus, you know, the, the regular person. Number one, obviously, the press is interested in that. You have to manage that element of the case. 
Um, you're dealing with the court of public opinion in addition to the whatever legal courtroom you're in. Um, there is a very interesting thing with respect to athletes that's unique amongst uh, any of my other clients, which is the way their pay structure works. Um, with many of these athletes, you know, as opposed to a CEO that we're dealing with or even a, another entertainer, they often have a long career, uh, you know, whether it's many different movies or television shows or, you know, uh, people who work as CEOs could be working for a company 25, 30 years. There's a shelf life to every athlete's career. Now, Tom Brady's showing something different or showed <laughs> yeah. something different to that. Um, but, you know, usually you're talking three to 10 years of high earnings that will n almost never be replicated. Michael Strahan being an exception, obviously, who I think has more success now maybe than when he was an athlete. For many of these people, what they earn in a short period of time is going to be 99% of their net worth. I have actually worked with financial planners in dealing with these athletes. And what happens is you treat them like they're a 65-year-old person who's coming to the end of their career earnings, even if they're 24. That's how you financially plan for them. So those issues are very unique to these cases, and you have to plan around those issues. The other one thing I wanted to note, which is very different, is these athletes have their time taken. They are practicing, traveling, then practicing more, getting in shape. You know, the participation you have from an athlete is usually much less than in many other cases. You have a lot of participation from their agents. You have participation from their business advisors and managers, sometimes their accountants that they work with. But the athlete themselves are usually rather unavailable during this process. Um, are there cases where the public just doesn't find out because no one happens to do the right search in the right court? Or if there's a fairly high-profile athlete you know, going through a messy divorce or, or another case like that, is the media going to sniff that out almost inevitably? The answer to your question is no. I mean, if I if you would ask me what distinguishes my firm and my group from many of the other you know, family law practices, it is our goal to keep these matters out of the press. This is the one area that I disagree with the uh, uh, statement, all press is good press. In this situation, when you're dealing with family law issues, it's almost never good press. Okay, whether with regardless of its divorce, paternity, custody, domestic violence, child protective issues, those are issues you never want to get out into the public, particularly when there are children, because the children are going to read it someday. There's no such thing as, you know, microfiche and looking at newspapers from years ago. Everything is on the Internet. So it is our number one goal in these cases to keep things quiet. What people don't realize is athletes are human beings. They're affected when their marriage falls apart. You know, I represented a baseball player who, you know, basically the media was saying, what happened to this guy? Last year, he's hitting 310. This year, he's hitting 240. We see nothing wrong with his swing. And no one understood the man was going through a terrible divorce. And there were many issues that were brought up in these uh, the divorce, including that basically he had companies had come in and promised him to give him all the money for his contract right up front. And we're paying him usurious fees on the back end. OK. And so this was impacting him greatly. And its performance on the field was being affected. So when it comes to athletes, Absolutely. Um, as opposed to almost any other area, there is a lot of, uh, uh, you know, keeping it in the clubhouse type stuff when it comes to their uh, personal lives. Do you ever have cases where you, you find your sympathies are, I mean, you know, I guess this is always a thing with a lawyer in any situation, but your sympathies aren't necessarily with your own client once you get into the case. Does that ever factor into it or is it just the job is the job? Both, I'm going to say. First of all, 
I think that my job is to represent my client zealously. The other attorney's job is to represent their client zealously. And if both of you present the best case for your client, you hope whoever the neutral uh, uh, jurist will then make the best decision possible. So it is not my job to look out for the other side. And I take that role very seriously. That being said, I am still realistic with my clients. And I'll give you an example with paternity cases. Okay. You know, it is a very difficult thing because, you know, the child support rules and, and, I, and I practice in multiple states, while they vary, they're not in some states, they're very limited. In Texas, the maximum child support award could be something along the lines of $1,800 a month, even if you make $20 million a year. Okay. Almost anybody would argue that that is a low number. New York and California, it can be much more. But, you know, one of the things I can say to my client is, look, I know that I could get you to only have to pay $5,000 a month, but that's going to be a two-year process. You're going to have to go to court 20 different times. You're going to have to produce all your financial information. But why don't, for the years you're making these big dollars, pay $7,500, okay? And let's not go through that process. Take all the money you're going to pay me. Take all the emotional strain of your life. And put that towards the child. And we can even find ways. If you're worried that the uh, mother is just going to use it for herself, then let's pay directly for school. Let's pay directly for activities. We can find ways to do that. So I can be, I can look out for uh, the things that make sense. I can put the client's uh, uh, perspective in the right place. But at the end of the day, if my client says, do the best for me, that's what I do every single time. Does, does it... <laughs> I mean, where my mind goes, and again, this might be something that's like not exactly your purview, but you know, some of these these players, they're they're 24, they're 25, and and all they've ever like really focused on is basketball, baseball, football, whatever it is. Uh, you know, the, these guys, they're they're kids in a lot of cases. Does that um, is that a factor for you in terms of just like guiding someone through this process? Um, that that might not be the case for, you know, maybe a 40-year-old movie star. Yes. I mean, that that is a factor. One of the things I do um, in these cases is to protect the athletes, is to build into the agreement some sort of review after a certain number of years. Even if I say pay more now, but in five years, we're going to look at this again. Now, the other side says, okay, I'll do that because if this athlete continues along, you know, the trajectory their next contract could be even bigger and I can come up for more. But for me, I, if there's if someone goes from making 20 million a year to 35 million a year and the other side can get two or three thousand more a month, I'm way less worried about that than my client who goes from 25 million a year to zero and being have you know a fail safe. And I've protected a number of clients because a 24 year old, as you just perfectly said, thinks this is going to last forever. In some way, they think they're almost the rules don't apply to them. OK, and it is such a harsh reality for so many of these athletes that at some point it all goes away. The money, the fame, the recognition, and they're just a 33-year-old or sometimes a 28-year-old kid who really didn't focus on his education and now has a good amount of money in the bank, but not enough to last the rest of their lives. So it is something I have to protect them against. And what I do usually is have a review of the dollars in these agreements in a certain amount of years so that if they are one of the people who falls into the direction of making less, I've protected them and they have an automatic right to pay more commensurate with their then earnings. And just to wrap us, wrap, wrap us up here, um, 
What is, would you say, the biggest misconception that people have about these athletes who are, you know, for maybe the more public ones, going through these difficult cases? Um, what is it on the inside that people aren't really getting on the outside? I think it goes back to a point I made before. They're still human beings. They still love their kids. They still love their wives. Their marriages provide them a level of comfort that marriages provide all of us. Um, that, you know, when they read about themselves negatively in the paper, it still affects them. And that, you know, people expect that, the, that these athletes, you know, in their uh, professional lives have to overcome any type of adversity and they excel at the highest level. But that doesn't mean you can do that in your personal life. All right. And that's the thing that, you know, sometimes you're, you know, you're struck by that, you know, they get depressed, they get sad, they worry about, you know, you know, protecting their kids and when they're going to be able to see their children. And often, I have to say, when you see someone and all of a sudden their performance one year is different than it has been, you know, or they're having issues and they need to take time off. People don't realize that a lot of times it's their personal lives and the area that I deal with that is, is, is causing that negative impact. Yeah, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. It only takes a split second for your timing to be off for everything to go out the window. Brett Ward, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. All right. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode. Enjoy the weekend. MLS is starting. Spring training is starting. Even if you are still covered in snow, there are green shoots sprouting up in the sports world. Shoot us a message at today at frontofficesports.com, and we'll see you Monday.